Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me? Yep. Thank you for joining us on this uh, second Good Friday worship. Always an interesting time to gather and learn. Um, I already had the conversation with my kids today about why it's called Good Friday. Um, so an obvious uh, good question to ask this time. So hopefully by the end of worship, if that question is on your mind too, you will uh, come to an understanding of the answer to that. Word about the service. Uh, I'll share my screen often through this service. And I want you to know if you haven't um, figured this out yet, that when I share my screen, and all the little windows of everyone go over to the side, or maybe it's just a picture of me that goes over the side, you can drag that around. So if it's ever in the way of what I'm trying to show you on the screen, you can simply click the top and drag that around or click one of the icons to minimize that window, uh, just so you don't miss out on, on what we're doing. Also wanted to announce uh, or remind you that for Easter Sunday, note that the worship times are 8.30 and 10 o'clock, both in the morning. Um, you also should have received a sunrise liturgy to use on your own when you wake up that morning. You would have received that in the email that was sent out with all the uh, worship logistical information. So probably how you got here, uh, go back to that email, download that one sheet of paper that'll kind of help you prepare your heart mind and soul for worship uh, that Sunday morning. With that being said, uh, thank you for joining us for worship on this Good Friday, and we are gathered in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's an important article, maybe you saw this, uh, by an English theologian by the name of N.T. Wright, published in the latest issue of Time magazine. And he suggests that Christianity has a unique perspective to communicate in the midst of this global pandemic that we find ourselves in. And that unique perspective is one of lament. Not of giving answers or explaining where God is in this or why this is happening. Uh, just simply providing a space to lament. Now, this is, this is what he writes. I'm going to share this with you. And he writes, says, the point of lament woven thus into the fabric of the biblical tradition is not just that it's an outlet for our frustration, sorrow, loneliness, and sheer inability to understand what is happening or why. The mystery of the biblical story is that God also laments. Some Christians like to think of God as above all that, knowing everything, in charge of everything, calm, and perhaps even unaffected by the troubles in this world. That is simply not the picture that we get in the Bible. It is no part of the Christian vocation, then, to be able to explain what's happening and why, theologically speaking. In fact, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. And as the Spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. 
And out of that, there can emerge new possibilities, new acts of kindness, new scientific understanding, and new hope. So on this Good Friday, as Christ's followers around the world gaze upon God's body hanging on the cross, we all hold a safe and sacred space for the world to question, to be angry, to feel alone. In other words, to lament. So let us now lament with the psalmist and select verses from Psalm 22. I will pause intermittently to allow space for you to meditate on the words of the psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, and since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws, you lay me in the dust of death. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far away. O oh, my help, come quickly to my aid. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, look with loving mercy on your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed, to be given over to the hands of sinners, and to suffer death on the cross, who now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Over the last few weeks of worship via Zoom, uh, we've started to ask people to read the lessons. And we have a particularly long one this evening, the entire chapter of John 19. And so I thought um, it would be a nice little change of pace if I had someone read that whole thing. But I knew it had to be someone who would hold our attention 
someone with a unique voice. So uh, I enlisted uh, someone who's meant a lot to me over the course of my life, and that is uh, Mr. Johnny Cash. So uh, without further ado, here is Johnny Cash going to read us uh, John chapter 19. Chapter 19. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to each soldier a part and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not tear it but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. 
that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. What I'm going to do now is bring up an image to show you and have you meditate on. This is a, a reproduction, it's a watercolor based on an enormous piece of art that is uh, at, located at St. Paul's Within the Walls, which is the uh, American Episcopal Church in Rome. And what you're gonna see here is a design that's fitted into a, uh, a space above the chancel arch. And the subject is Christ, crucified before a tree of life from the Garden of Eden. Uh, and that's symbolizing the eternal life that he died to give. Now, usually in depictions of the crucifixion, if there are other, scene, uh, other figures in the scene, one will be Mary, Virgin Mary, and one would be St. John. 
in this particular instance, because of the tree of life and the setting in the Garden of Eden, uh, what we're going to see is Adam and Eve on either side. Now, next to Adam, there is a bunch of grain, which uh, brings to mind the curse of Adam, which is to till the fields. And then uh, next to Eve, you'll notice that there are uh, lilies growing as a sign of purity, but also among those uh, thorns of the briar rose, which uh, point us back to human sinfulness. And underneath it all is a Latin inscription, which means you shall have affliction in the world, but have faith, for I have overcome the world. So I'm going to repeat that phrase one more time because it's vital that you keep that in mind as you reflect on this image. You shall have affliction in the world, but have faith, for I have overcome the world. I'll bring that up for you now.
I'd like to share something else uh, with you this evening. One of my favorite theologians, who is uh, fortunately still with us, his name is Walter Brueggemann. He is a prolific Old Testament scholar, written a lot, uh, especially in the Psalms, and uh, matters of justice, biblical justice. And he has uh, released a short little video, it's about four minutes long, uh, centered on words of hope and invitation in times of darkness. So I'm not going to give away too much of it. I'm just going to launch right into it, and then we'll talk just briefly about it after the fact. So here is a, just a little video by Walter Brueggemann. You could, you could entertain the thought that we are uh, at a life and death moment uh, in our society and uh, all kinds of people and all kinds of institutions are having to decide whether they're going um, to continue the patterns of death uh, to which our society has subscribed or whether we're going to have the energy and the imagination to uh, break out of those patterns and uh, come alive. So I, I think the, the Bible uh, is this field of imagination in which uh, they're constantly watching people um, rise up to newness. And uh, one, of the, one of the narrative images for that is this little baby uh, that was born to Abraham and Sarah, and the text says, and uh, they were as good as dead. They were as good as dead, and a baby came, and life started over. And uh, I think we live in a society where uh, people are now deciding, uh, many people are deciding, we're not going to settle for the old patterns of death and despair and denial, um, but, but, but we're going to dance and sing, and we're going to practice neighborliness. So uh, I, I think the Bible um, uh, often imagines that we are in an either-or moment. And uh, I think this is really one of them for churches and church people. And, uh, and it's, it's nice to be talking about this in the, in the season of Lent. Um, because Lent is um, getting all set to die and then to be raised. And uh, if you're in uh, denial, you can't get ready to die and you can't be raised. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament are clear uh, that you have to go into the abyss. And in the Christian tradition, Good Friday is the abyss. Jürgen Moltmann said on Good Friday that the Son is father forsaken, and the father is son forsaken, and everybody is forsaken. And uh, you can tell that we don't want to go there, uh, because uh, by and large, very few people go to church on Good Friday. A lot of people go to church on Easter Sunday. Uh, but you can't have the Sunday without the Friday. Uh, and, and I think the uh, circumstance now, the economic circumstance of our society, the failure of our social institutions, uh, 
Friday is the way to name what's happening to us. Uh, we are really in a uh, shutdown of the way it used to be. And um, one of the things that's clear in the New Testament when you read the Good Friday narrative is that neither Herod nor Pilate had a clue about what to do. Uh, and I think we uh, live in a time when the old rulers of this age haven't a clue what to do about anything. Uh, which means it's time to uh, die and be raised. That's what I think. So this is indeed a uh, unique time in many ways. Um, the juxtaposition of coronavirus and all the fear about that with the season of Lent, uh, laying on top of our own march to the cross, our own cross to bear. What I didn't tell you before that, I showed you that film, is that he didn't release that recently. He filmed that a decade ago uh, in the midst of the financial crisis. So what's interesting is the cyclical nature of our suffering. And we think that a time like this is unique, and it is in some ways. Um, but just a decade ago, there were also big questions being asked, big theological questions, big questions about the economy, about our role in society, what society should look like. And once again, we're finding ourselves being drawn towards something uh, that we don't know what it is. We are being invited to a particular kind of death. There are things in our culture, things that we have been accustomed to that are gone. And some might not be coming back, at least not in the way that they used to be. And what I hope this little film gives you is some semblance of hope and peace in knowing that what we're experiencing now as a worldwide society is, while terrifying, and we can't diminish that, also profoundly hopeful that something is being created, new life is being created right now out of all of this uncertainty and fear. Um, it's just a hard thing to express. It's a hard thing to grasp for ourselves. I have a hard time putting words to it. And so I spent a little bit of time recently trying to do just that, uh, write a poem about the time that we're in. So uh, if you'll indulge me, I'd like to share that with you now. A tragedy that would make Shakespeare blush that we, though isolated, realize anew our interwoven reality. How dependent we are on forces of market, farm, utilities, public service, healthcare, and education. How dependent on physical touch, embrace, and words traversing directly from a mouth to an ear without being translated into and out of digital ones and zeros. 
we were once a part of a world that is no longer within reach. Is there a place right now for what used to be? These painful days reveal what has always been, God on the cross. From the beginning, when all was good, God on the cross, blood-stained forgiveness in the midst of forsakenness, God on the cross, knowing exactly what it means for God's creation to suffer. God on the cross, until the end, when all things are made new. These painful days reveal what has always been, but not what will come next. For what comes next? We wait three days. Or however long it takes for our cold, dead hands to feel God's life-giving touch. For our tomb-sealing stones to be rolled away forever. So thank you for joining us for worship. We now end our Friday service with Carol and Isaac Plew guiding us through the song, Were You There? And at its conclusion, I will close the meeting. So we'll skip our usual waves and hellos and uh, hold that for when we are together again on Easter morning. So now go in peace. For you shall have affliction in the world, but have faith. For the Lord has overcome the world.